Good morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help me to speak the words you've given me to speak, and that you would help us all to hear what you want us to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. We've been reading through Paul's letter to the Philippians uh, since September, as most of you know. And today, we finish that series off with this last section of Paul's letter. All throughout this letter, we've been learning um, what it means for us to belong to Christ. And we'll be talking about two more aspects of that today. We also, last week, uh, began to talk about church conflict, which is a, a reality in the church, right? Well, today we're going to talk about two other aspects of what it means to be in the church. So here are the two things I want to talk about today. First is contentment in Christ, and the second is fellowship in Christ. Contentment and fellowship in Christ. But let me start, since we're at the end of this letter, by refreshing your memory about the reason that this whole letter is being written, the context here. The Apostle Paul, who some years earlier had helped bring the Philippians to Christ, had been arrested and taken to Rome, where he now sits in prison, awaiting trial and possibly execution. And when they heard about this, the Philippians sent Epaphroditus, uh, probably a member of their congregation. They sent Epaphroditus to Paul with a gift of money to support him in his imprisonment. Epaphroditus became dangerously ill en route to Rome. You might remember this. Uh, Paul wrote about it in chapter 2. Epaphroditus recovered, which was a great consolation to Paul. And now Paul is sending him back to Philippi with this letter. So in a sense, we might say that the letter to the Philippians is a thank you letter, a thank you note. Of course, it's a lot more than that. Paul's also teaching them so much about who Christ is and who they are. Um, he's also using the occasion to address a conflict in the church. But one of Paul's purposes really is to express his gratitude to the Philippians. Not only for this gift that they recently sent him, but for their many years of support for his ministry. Almost the first thing Paul writes in this letter, back in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, was, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he returns to that point now, in chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul knows that though the Philippians have been thinking of him this whole time, circumstances prevented them from sending him a gift until now. And he rejoices that as soon as it was possible for them to do so, the Philippians sent him this tangible evidence of their concern and of their partnership with him in the gospel. So Paul thanks God for the Philippians, and he rejoices that they've revived their support for him. So it's interesting in this context, isn't it, that what Paul says next in verse 11 uh, doesn't sound so thankful. Here's what he says. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. 
For I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I'm grateful for what you sent me, Paul seems to be saying, but I want you to know I didn't need it. I appreciate it, I'm glad you sent it, but I could have survived without it, too. Even before I got your gift, I was already content. So why does Paul write this? It's a little bit bad form in a thank you note, I think. But he's not being rude here. Uh, He's not trying to minimize what the Philippians have done for him. Instead, he's trying to share with them a wonderful and important Christian truth. That his contentment doesn't depend on them. It depends on Christ. He goes on in verses 11 and 13. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all these things. How? Through him who strengthens me. The secret of Paul's contentment is Christ. Christ is the one who strengthens him, who empowers him by the Holy Spirit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Doesn't, of course, mean that Paul can leap over tall buildings in a single bound, or that Christ will help Paul solve a really difficult math problem. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means that Christ will strengthen me to do everything he calls me to do. Have you ever noticed this prayer? We pray it week after week uh, after communion. Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. Well, that's what Christ strengthens us for for every part of the work that the Father gives us to do. The work of living a faithful Christian life. For Paul, doing what God has given him to do includes quite a lot of suffering. He doesn't get into it here with the Philippians, but in a different letter with a very different tone, a little more confrontational, Paul rattles off a whole catalog of things he's suffered for Christ. Here's that passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul writes, Many labors, many imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Whew, it's it's not easy being Paul. But precisely this is the kind of thing Paul's talking about when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when he says, I have learned to be content. 
in the midst of a beating, in the midst of imprisonment, in the midst of starvation, Paul can say, I have all that I need because I have Christ. I can do all these things because Christ gives me the strength. Paul depends for his strength and his contentment on Christ, not on his circumstances, and not on the church. He wants the Philippians to know that his contentment doesn't depend on them. And this is good news for the Philippians. It means that they don't need to feel guilty when they really can't help Paul, as was apparently the case until very recently, when God makes it possible for them to revive their concern for Paul. It's good that they do so. But when they don't have that opportunity, they can rest assured that it's God's problem, not theirs, to take care of Paul. So it's good news for the Philippians that Paul doesn't ultimately depend on them. It's also good news for Paul. Because if Paul depended on the church for his ultimate contentment, he would be in trouble. Maybe you caught it that one of the items in Paul's catalog of sufferings in 2 Corinthians was danger from false brothers. Danger, that is, from folks who presented themselves as fellow Christians but turned out to be, to use the language that he does in chapter 3 of this letter, enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul has suffered at the hands of people like that. Maybe some of you have too. But it's not just phony Christians, fake Christians, who can hurt us. True fellow Christians can disappoint us too, can't they? We see an example of that in this very passage. In verse 15, Paul remembers gratefully how the Philippians helped him in the past. But he mentions in passing that they were actually the only church who helped him at that time. When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. There were other churches around that could have entered into partnership with Paul. Some of them owed their whole existence to his ministry. But uh, they didn't. They didn't help. We don't know why. Maybe they had good reasons. Maybe not. Either way, if Paul had been depending on these churches, he would have been badly disappointed. But Paul has learned to be faithful to Christ, both when he's getting support and encouragement from the churches, and when he's not. He's learned that in any circumstance, he already has everything he needs to live a faithful Christian life, because he has Christ who strengthens him. And if you've been a Christian for even a little while, you probably already know that it's a normal part of Christian life to be disappointed by the church. Not just phony Christians, but real Christians too, can sometimes annoy us, disappoint us, even badly hurt us. Other times we may be the ones who hurt and disappoint a fellow Christian. It happens. And so it's important for us to remind ourselves, just as Paul is reminding the Philippians here, that our contentment ultimately depends on Christ Jesus himself, who never disappoints us, who never lets us down. As we've worked through this letter together over the fall, we've seen lots of good reason to depend on Christ, haven't we? 
Way back in chapter 1, Paul taught us that through Christ, God is growing in us the fruit of righteousness. And Paul says that he who began the good work will be faithful to complete it. We can depend on that. In chapter 2, Paul reminded us that Christ loves us so much, he was willing to become like a servant to us and to die on the cross for our sake. Last week you heard Father David describe chapter 4 verse 8 as a portrait of Christ's character. He is in every way true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. What or who on earth could be more dependable than this Christ? So isn't it good news that our contentment can depend on him? Christ is enough for Paul. His contentment depends on Christ alone, not on anything else, not even the church. So does that mean that Paul can do Christianity solo? Forget about the church and do it just him and Jesus. No way. Quite the opposite. Paul's emphasis throughout this letter has been on the shared life of Christians, hasn't it? The common life of the church. He urged the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 27, to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Complete my joy, he wrote in chapter 2, verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Striving together side by side, sharing one spirit, one mind, one love. These are certainly not the words of someone who thinks that he can do Christianity solo, right? The truth is that in Christ, Paul has discovered a blessed contentment that's independent of anything or anyone else. But in Christ, Paul has also discovered a blessed fellowship that unites him to all of God's people, even the annoying ones. And so immediately after reminding the Philippians that he was content already before he received their gift, Paul goes on in verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. It wasn't necessary, but it was kind. The most important thing about their gift isn't that Paul really desperately needed it. He wasn't depending on it. The most important thing about their gift is that it expresses the Philippians' fellowship with Paul. They have fellowship with Paul in his trouble, and they have fellowship with Paul also in the work of the gospel. You entered into partnership with me, fellowship with me, in giving and receiving, he writes in verse 15. And he goes on in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul is using a financial metaphor here. Paul and the Philippians have, as it were, a joint account. He can draw on them in his need, and his income likewise increases to their credit. But what they're storing up in this bank account isn't money, it's fruit. Fruit of lives changed by the gospel, of hearts converted to Christ. 
But here's the really amazing thing in this passage. Paul and the Philippians don't just have a joint bank account with each other. They have a joint account with God. I have received full payment and more, Paul writes in verse 18. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And, listen to this in verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Just as the Philippians have supplied Paul in his need, Paul's God will supply the Philippians in theirs. Now, don't misunderstand here. God isn't a vending machine where you can put in a certain amount of money and then get a certain amount of blessings out. That's not how it works. That's a false and phony gospel. You can't buy God's blessing, and anyone who tells you that you can is looking to make a buck off of you. You know that, right? What Paul is talking about here is not a tit for tat, a payment to God, as if we could ever give God anything that would compel him to pay us back. He's talking instead about free and loving fellowship, sharing. It's not that God will give the Philippians a little something in exchange for what they gave him. It's that in Christ, God has invited the Philippians and us to share in his glorious riches. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God has already supplied everything we need, and he's done it in Christ Jesus. Now maybe you're thinking, hang on, Josiah. God has supplied our every need in Christ? I need to eat. How does God supply that for me in Christ? I need a roof over my head. How does Christ help me with that? I need my health, but Christ doesn't seem to be giving that to me right now. So what can it mean that God will supply our every need according to his riches in Christ Jesus? Well, remember who's writing here and what he's writing about. This is Paul. Paul, who has suffered countless beatings, shipwrecks, and hungry, sleepless nights. Paul, who writes these words not from a comfortable new home, but from a prison cell. Paul, of all people, is well aware that God does not promise to keep all his people full-bellied and free, healthy and happy all the time. Paul's not saying that Christ will now in this life address all of our material needs. In this world of sin, we all, Christians and non-Christians together, continue to suffer the consequences of sin, which include hunger and disease and ultimately death. Paul's not saying that God gives us some kind of get-out-of-suffering-free card. He doesn't. So what is Paul saying? What does it mean that God will supply our every need in Christ Jesus? Simply put, it means that God will provide us with everything we need to live the life of faith that he's calling us to live. To do the work he's given us to do. We might be hungry. We might struggle to pay the bills. We might struggle with illness or injury. But our God will supply us with everything we need to live faithfully 
in the midst of those circumstances. Friends, does this sound like a good deal to you? I know we're all sinners here, so I don't doubt that there's something in each of us today that hears what I just said and cries out, no thanks, God can keep all that faith stuff, I just want my food and my health and my comfortable life. That's normal, there's something inside us that says that. But if you're a Christian, there will be something else in you too. A spirit that can cry out with Paul, I will suffer the loss of all things and consider them all rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. When the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see who Christ really is, then we can see that a little suffering, a little poverty, even countless beatings and shipwrecks, count for nothing when weighed against the riches the glorious riches that are in Christ Jesus for us. God gives us so much in Christ. But the main thing, the best thing he gives us, is himself. In Christ, we have fellowship with God, union with him. He opens up to us his infinite reserve of goodness, his infinite reserve of righteousness, his infinite reserve of love. If you have faith in Christ, God shares all of that with you. He shares everything he is with you. And of course, as God shares his love and his holiness with us, he brings us into holy and loving relation to each other. Paul and the Philippians have fellowship with each other because they first have fellowship with God in Christ. Not only that, the Philippians even have fellowship with Christians they've never met before. In verses 21 and 22 of this passage, Paul sends them greetings from all the Christians with him in Rome. Most of them would be perfect strangers to the Philippians. Paul calls them the saints and the brothers. They're saints because God is making them holy. He's sharing his own holiness with them. And they're brothers and sisters because they belong to the same household of God as the Philippians. Have you ever thought about why Christians can say things like this to each other? Why can you call your fellow sinner at St. Aidan's a saint? Why, when you meet a Christian from some other country, can you right away call her sister or call him brother? Because of the riches God is sharing with you in Christ. Contentment in Christ, fellowship in Christ. These are two inseparable parts of the riches God shares with us. His glorious riches in Christ. A contentment that depends on Christ alone and fellowship through Christ with others. First, it might seem like those things don't go well together. But I hope we can see in Paul's life and in this letter how well they really do fit together. If we try to find contentment in the church itself, if we try to depend for our sense of stability and direction on other imperfect Christians, it's not going to work. We will be badly hurt. But if we depend for everything on Christ, 
then we can begin to enjoy our fellow Christians for what they actually are. Not our saviors, Christ alone is that, but gifts that God gives to us. Brothers and sisters who share with us in our Father's infinite riches. So my prayer for us this week is that by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will depend on Him alone for our contentment. And that as we do so, we will enjoy more and more the fellowship that He gives us with each other. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.